Welcome to Brave Conversations with me, your host, Lee Sloan. As difficult as conversations can be these days, we believe that conversations still matter. Together, let's be brave enough to think, brave enough to feel, brave enough to change the world one brave conversation at a time. It's that time of year again, what some would call the most wonderful time of the year. Growing up in a large Baptist church in Los Angeles, I was pretty much baptized into Christmas. But it wasn't with snow outside and going door-to-door singing carols like you would imagine. Our snow, quote-unquote, was this large disco ball that hung in the sanctuary of our church as we sang, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. We ended up going to rehearsals starting in September where I spent many weekends and nights in the nursery. Well, my parents rehearsed for this huge living Christmas tree production that we did every year. Everyone would get into this huge man-made tree and sing from the tree with an amazing light show. And I'm not just talking a tree, a gigantic tree. But the first half of the production was actually a really fun, lively, singing and dancing sort of Broadway-style show. And so I started doing those along with the adults when I was about eight years old. Sometimes I was just one of the regular singers. Sometimes I was a reindeer. (laughs) It was pretty fun. And we worked with professional choreographers. I remember my mom tap dancing in the kitchen as she worked on her special numbers. It drove us nuts sometimes. (laughs) But I learned all the songs. And so that finally when Christmas Day arrived, it was kind of like, oh, well, this is what Christmas is. It was So to me, Christmas was mostly all of the songs that I learned and all of the stuff leading up to Christmas more than the actual day of Christmas. So because it's that time of year, I thought it would be a great time to look back on some of our Christmas culture and how it came to be and maybe a little bit on where it's headed. Now, what I've noticed as I've gone and looked back in history is that Christmas culture is really a mere reflection of what's happened over the centuries in the larger context of our culture. It's so interesting to see where these things collide. Now, I know several Christians I know are frustrated with the pagan roots of some of our Christmas traditions, and I would say they're in good company. Most of the Puritans who came here to America, some of, some of the most serious ones, they wanted to start a new life, were also very leery of Christmas, so much so that it was actually outlawed in the early years of Boston. In fact, for a few years in England in the 1600s, Christmas was officially canceled by, the, by a Puritan leader, Oliver Cromwell. But in places like Jamestown, people celebrated freely. In fact, there, it was there that they first celebrated with eggnog, in America at least. Now it's true that nowhere in the Bible is it commanded that people celebrate the birth of Jesus. Nowhere is it commanded that they not celebrate it either. When Christianity first came to Europe, the people were already practicing many pagan seasonal rituals during that time. For winter solstice up in Scandinavia, people burned Yule logs full of pine cones, holly, and ivy to represent the cleansing of their souls from the stuff they wanted to forget in the old year and to prepare themselves for the new. Over in Germany, they believed that the god Odin 
would take nocturnal flights in the sky and judge the people below. Children would leave him gifts and treats to earn his good graces. Sounds a little bit familiar, right? Over in Rome, where weather was more temperate, for one whole month, they called it Saturnalia, the roles were reversed, and the slaves became masters. It was a time of feasting and drunkenness, where things were all topsy-turvy. And also, there was a thing called Juvenalia, at which it was a time where they honored children. They had a very important god called Mithra, whose birthday was supposed to be on December 25th. This was known as the god of the unconquerable sun and was an infant god. Sound familiar again? Considering that the early Catholic Church was based in Rome, it's no surprise that Pope Julius picked December 25th as the Feast of the Nativity, later to be called Christmas. Soon the holiday spread to Egypt, England, Scandinavia, Greece, Russia, and beyond. But the celebration as we know it was far from today's expression of Christmas. During the Middle Ages, the holiday was more of a lawless, drunken holiday, a little bit like Mardi Gras. I would imagine this was a spillover from the Saturnalia traditions of Rome, and it was for this reason that the Puritans tried to cancel Christmas. But Christmas was already too popular, and when Charles II came back, he ended up reinstating it in England. Because it was more of an English and a Catholic holiday, or at least associated with Catholicism, a lot of the Americans rejected it following the American Revolution. But by 1870, it still would not die, and it was named a national holiday. During the mid-1800s and 1900s, Christmas began to be reinvented. Because of all the hedonism that used to go on during the Christmas season, there was rioting in New York. Some of the leading men and women of, of that time set to work to rebrand and invent the holiday, reinvent the holiday. This effort actually worked. There were creative works like the sketchbook of Jeffrey Cran and Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and these kind of works put images in our heads of how Christmas was supposed to be, a holiday where the rich ate with the poor and where peace and goodwill prevailed. It spoke to the breaking down of walls of wealth and social standing. Also, it was during this time that people became more sensitive to the needs and thoughts of children. Children were now meant to be celebrated, and Christmas slowly began to become more of a family-centered holiday, away from the drunken, brawling celebration that it used to be. And so as more and more immigrants poured into America, Americans began piecemealing all of the different ways that Christmas had morphed around the Western world. The Dutch came with their celebration of St. Nicholas, which was a feast that honored the death around that time. They called it Sinterklaas, and it became known as Santa Claus with an entirely new image filled with some of the folklore of Odin and the early Germans. Druid priests from England used to use mistletoe as a symbol of the birth of a god. All over the world, evergreen boughs were used in different ways as a symbol of hope that the harsh winter season would end and bring new life. Some Christians celebrated Adam and Eve Day on December 24th, a time which evergreen trees were decorated with apples to signify 
the paradise trees. It's easy to see how this tradition was rolled right into Christmas and the round ball decorations that we put on our trees today. I can only imagine how people became interested in the different ways people celebrated around the world as immigrants began making new lives for themselves in North America. Christmas seemed to be the strongest link we had amongst the many, many different cultures. In 1847, the classic song, O Holy Night, it's probably my favorite Christmas song, was written by a French priest and his musician friend. It was loved by many French people. However, when they found out that the author was a socialist, the song was banned. An American abolitionist brought it to the U.S. where the lyrics, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, resonated with the contemporary war that was being waged on slavery. The song was, in fact, so powerful that the singing of it actually halted a battle between the Germans and the French for a full 24 hours one Christmas day. After that happened, the ban in France was lifted. Looking back on the history of Christmas makes me realize a few things. First of all, Christmas was not always a holiday that moved us forward and helped our culture. And in fact, the same is true today. It's not so much in whether you celebrate it that makes a difference, but how. Secondly, as a Christian, I don't just blindly celebrate any holiday I'm told to by my culture, but I'm a steward of my culture. I see that God planted the seeds of truth in my culture, just like he did many others. And I believe that he's at work preparing the hearts of the world to receive him. Take the Yule log as an example. Although it was a pagan tradition, how beautiful was it that the hearts of these people wanted to burn their past sins and start anew every year? They had this internal knowledge of a need to cleanse their hearts. Or take the Italian tradition of elevating slaves and children. Even if they did it just for a little while and in jest, it speaks to the truth of what God does in our spirits as we know one another as equals before God. So many of these traditions were actually hinting at a universal truth, a powerful truth, even before Jesus. The other thing I notice is how the most strategic Christians actually realized that they couldn't just ban the things they didn't like. Instead, they capitalized on them. Each old tradition, all those pagan traditions, were actually opportunities for Christians to convey a new truth. During a time of darkness and cold, they capitalized on the opportunity to turn people from the worship of Mithra, for example, to a different godchild, Jesus, who came to truly revolutionize the world. Sometimes it's kind of strange, and I think, why is Christmas such a big deal all over the globe? Christmas happened at a time when the globalization on travel across the world became possible, and it's a time when Christian Christianity was also spreading like wildfire. Christmas didn't ignore the roots of people's cultures, and that's what I appreciate about it so much. Rather, they tried to incorporate the good values that would move us forward together, and we left behind the traditions that took us backward. Now, we know that not all things about our modern Christmas are good. 
we all know that we can fall prey to the trappings of materialism and commercialism, but we hope that each year we can take our jobs seriously of considering how and why we celebrate Christmas, if we choose to celebrate it at all. The one thing that I know for certain about culture is that it morphs and it changes at will. Not everyone can predict what will resonate from generation to generation and which traditions will fade into oblivion. A song, a piece of artwork, a news article, something might resonate that will just stick. But we do know that all of us have a part to play in this. As cultural curators, we get to make our mark on the values we choose to pass on to the next generation. Now, when I first started having kids, I realized that a lot of the folklore around Santa Claus didn't really jive with my understanding of my Jesus. It seemed very works-based, and I didn't want my children believing the lie that some jolly fat man was always watching them counting their good deeds against their bad ones. It's kind of creepy, <laughs> anyway. And even when, if they knew it wasn't true, I didn't want them having that, that kind of thought pattern, even remotely, like as if that was the way God treated them. But I did teach them about the origin of Santa by telling them about the real St. Nicholas, which I think is even more fascinating than the folklore. So what I did was I decided to adapt Christmas for us in a few small ways, putting more emphasis on the actual birth of Jesus. And so one way I did this was that I told my three children that their stockings were going to be visited by wise men, just like the ones who gave to the child Jesus. Now, technically, this isn't a lie because the wise men are, could be wise people or anyone literally that we could call wise. And at first, I thought that they could ask wise men questions on Christmas Eve. And then we would, uh, my family, uh, the adults would write answers in their stockings on Christmas Day. Now, this proved a little more difficult than I expected because of the questions that my kids asked, but it was still fun. Now, over the years, this tradition has morphed into us actually writing encouraging words for the year to each of our kids, words that speak to who they really are inside and who they're becoming, and words we really sense are from the Lord. And some of these words they treasure so much that they tape them to their bed or wall so they can read them throughout the entire year. It's just one way I've found to lead them to a positive understanding of who Jesus is, and how we can express love to one another. So whether or not you celebrate Christmas, I hope you're doing something to curate your culture in a positive way in your family, to move all of us toward greater love and unity as a nation and world. When my Jesus came to earth, he embraced this world, messy and oppressive as it was. And I believe that God chose to birth his son through the frailty of humanity. He chose to come through our imperfections and our frailty rather than in spite of them. I believe he's able to redeem any broken cultural expression he chooses for his good and his perfect purposes. And however imperfectly we try to celebrate, I hope we come closer to honoring his spirit. I hope we continue to promote the timeless and universal values of love, peace, and goodwill. During the dark and often depressing season, let us continue to look toward the light and hope wherever we find it. 
I pray that God blesses you wherever you find yourself this December 25th. And I want to end by sharing with you a little Christmas gift. It's a song from my family archives. It's a somewhat dingy recording, but I still think it's worthwhile to share. It's very powerful. It's of my very talented Aunt Stephanie singing Oh Happy Day for a production in Los Angeles when I was a child. I hope this song captures the joy of the true meaning of Christmas for you. Feel free to replay on Christmas morning with you and yours. (laughs) 